Welcome to the Firestarter Podcast. People, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and it's my passion, my purpose, and my business to make the world a better place through storytelling, which is why we're here today. We'll talk to mission-driven entrepreneurs, philanthropists, and investors, thought leaders, researchers, and experts on the front lines of the world's most pressing issues about designing and thriving in careers of impact. My guest today is Steve Bradley, Vice President of Cleantech Strategy and Investments at Cox Enterprises. As Vice President of Cleantech, Steve is responsible for building a new business vertical at Cox Enterprises that tackles sustainability challenges and drives profitability, top-line growth, and diversification. Under his leadership, the Cox Cleantech team is investing in solutions that transform key segments of agriculture, energy, and waste to sustainably meet the needs of a rapidly growing global population. Bradley joined Cox in 2001 as an engineer and has spent most of his career exploring new ways for Cox to reach its aggressive conservation goals for waste, water, and energy. He helped launch Cox Conserves in 2007 with a clear vision to drive positive environmental change inside the company, among its stakeholders, and in the community. Part of that vision includes making its operations zero waste to landfill by 2024 and carbon and water neutral by 2034. Bradley is a 2012 graduate of the Institute for Georgia Environmental Leadership Program and holds a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Mississippi State University. He regularly speaks on environmental panels and serves on the board of Nexus Fuels, a circular plastics company, and Bright Farms, an indoor agriculture company. In addition, Bradley was named to the Atlanta Business Chronicle's Who's Who in Sustainability list. In our conversation, we talk about Steve's leadership in sustainability investments at Cox Enterprises and the evolution of his role over time, how sustainability in business is in the spotlight, and here to stay for good because, as our conversation makes clear, what's good for the planet is good for business over the long term. I so enjoyed my conversation with Steve and can't wait to share it with you today. Welcome to the show, Steve. So thrilled to have you here. Hey, Willa. Thanks for having me. It's so great to talk with you. Well, thank you. So you're vice president of clean tech at Cox Enterprises. And, you know, I think most of us, when we think of Cox, we think of Cox Communications, you know, the narrow lens of internet and cable TV provider. But, you know, as I dug deeper in preparation for our conversation today, I learned that Cox Communications is actually just a division of a parent company, Cox Enterprises, uh, which itself has a really long and fascinating history. Um, can you share a bit more about the structure of the company and how clean tech fits into it? Yeah, sure. So yeah, you're right. Most people only know of Cox um, if you're in one of our markets where Cox Communications is located, because that's the only um, communi- you know, com- consumer facing brand that we have with the Cox name. Uh, you know, the story of Cox goes back to the late 1800s when J- uh, Governor James Cox bought the Dayton Daily News and then started the company. Um, by acquiring other newspapers, then moving into radio and then television, ultimately cable TV, and then the automotive sector. And so, um, you know, right now, the way we're structured is I sit at the parent company, which is Cox Enterprises, which is a holding company for two major divisions, Cox Communications uh, that you mentioned, and then Cox Auto. Cox Auto is 
um, a, a large inventory marketing and sales company. So a lot of dealer to dealer uh, transactions and services, but um, some of the brands that would be more consumer facing are Kelly Blue Book uh, and AutoTrader.com. So um, uh, where I sit in the company is is charged with growing and creating the next divisions of the company that would sit alongside uh, Cox Auto and Cox Communications. And so clean tech in and of itself is is what we call a growth and diversification effort to go make the company bigger but also to build new divisions in other spaces and specifically focused uh, in what we call the clean tech sector, which for, for me, I define clean tech as uh, resource efficiency, resiliency, and adaptation. That's great. Well, I didn't, I, I saw Auto Trader, but I didn't see Kelly Blue Book. So um, I think, you know, we've all interfaced with Cox Enterprises more than we think we have. <laughs> um, so this is kind of a two part question. Uh, I'd love to for you to walk us through, you know, first your personal story and what led you to Cox, where I understand you started as an engineer back in 2001. And I'm also curious about where your interest and passion for sustainability really took hold, whether that was prior to starting at Cox or something that really evolved during your time there. Yeah, I think the 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 end of the story is it definitely catal- was catalyzed at Cox. Um, I did. I didn't. You know, the short. I guess the short version is I, I didn't sort of grow up with this innate desire to combat environmental challenges. Um, while I do think, though, that a lot of things that happened, you know, looking back in sort of the formative years of my life, you know, you, I could point to those and say, well, I probably was destined down this path, although I just didn't see it at the time. And so I grew up in an area where. Um, you know, I, I really had a connection with, you know, nature and sort of the, the, the natural world and appreciated um, sort of the, the beauty and, and the pristineness of some of that and, and also saw what was happening uh, with pollution, you know, in the form of runoff. I grew up on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And so, you know, I, I remember as a kid looking up the river going, where's all this uh, pollution come from? Where are all these chemicals coming from and trash? that's coming down this way, but it didn't, I didn't really ever make a connection beyond that other than thinking, well, okay, if, if they tell me you're only supposed to eat one of this kind of fish, why would you eat any of them? Um, but that was pretty much the extent of it. Um, then, you know, as I moved forward and, and, um, you know, got out of college, I went to work for a big electric utility, uh, first, um, which is really was, was my original sort of, uh, you know, plan in life is to go, you know, I loved uh, steam turbines and and boilers and things like that and had a degree in mechanical engineering. That didn't really work out. Um, I ended up uh, designing uh, and building the high voltage transmission system for that electric utility. And while it was a great education, uh, it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing, you know, with my life. I sort of consider it my PhD in electrical engineering, uh, but it was just not something I was really excited about doing. And so, you know, I, I really, when I came to Cox, it was really just the promise of something different. Um, I didn't know the company. I didn't know a whole lot about the company. Um, in fact, I had sort of this funny conversation with my dad at the time. This was in 2001, um, where, you know, I told him I was going to leave and go to work work for Cox. And, and he said, you're going to leave an investor-owned regulated utility to go work for an internet startup company. And I said, dad, they're, they're not an internet startup company. They're a hundred years old and they provide the internet. 
Um, but that was sort of like my view at the time and my world was pretty, pretty limited. And so when I came to Cox, it was really just uh, to be able to, they, they were leveraging the fact that I did have this background in both mechanical and electrical engineering. Um, there was a guy at Cox that had been doing what he called energy conservation for 20 years before that. And he needed somebody with a little bit more broader skill set that understood newer technology because they were getting a lot more uh, requests from our field locations in um, all these different sort of complex things and new technology that was coming out. And that was what I came for. I thought I was going to be doing mechanical electrical engineering for Cox. And shortly after I started, um, I met Jim Kennedy, who at the time was the CEO at Cox. He's also the grandson of the founder of the company. Um, And he was really the catalyst for me and my passion around sustainability because he was one that I was able to connect with. He had a very similar passion for nature uh, to mine. And and that combined with the fact that um, he's the CEO of this company and has all these other responsibilities, but yet he keeps the mind space to think about you know the environment um, was 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 really just ma- majorly impactful for me. And then the difference, though, well, there were lots of differences between sort of how Jim and I thought about the world, but he had had the vantage point is sort of how I think about it of where he was at Cox, how he grew up, um, to be able to really have seen uh, the changes that were happening in the world and then connect that with a desire to, to like fix it or solve it. And that was the minute it sort of clicked for me. And, and I thought, wow, you know, if, if it's a, this important to this person who, you know, is such a key figure in a major company, like, I get like it resonates with me what he's trying to do, and I, I should do that too. And so that was really the powerful influence that started it. Um, and, and you know, I think there was sort of this final piece that set me off down this path. And that was as we started thinking about sustainability at Cox, and we didn't call it sustainability back in 2001. It's sad. I mean, it was fun. We called it like green programs and you know, um, energy programs and things yeah, like that. Yeah, a lot that. has changed in terms of that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was just, it wasn't even like sustainability wasn't a word we used in the context of the environment back then. Um, I, I remember Jim, he was getting ready to retire. And he said, look, I want my the legacy I leave behind from my time at Cox to be that Cox left the world a better place. And, and that to me was just, you know, just one of these sort of awe-inspiring moments where you go, this is a guy who doubled the revenue of the company three times in 15 years, but what he wants to be remembered for at, for his time at the helm was that he made an impact in the environment. And so, you know, and so, I, you know, as, as anybody would, it, that's sort of, you know, this, this lowly new employee, I said, well, what do you want to do? And, and he said, well, you're the smart guy here. You figure it out and, and you come tell me. And so whether he did that on purpose or not, I don't know. But, you know, that was sort of the final catalyst was he let me own it and let me go really, you know, internalize it and, and build it. And so that that at that point, I feel like my, my path was sort of set. And then, you know, 20 years later, you know, here we are. A lot has changed. 
but we're still we're still doing you know that work, and we've even gotten better and accelerated you know what we're doing in the space. Well, what a you know what an opportunity to to have that coming from you know the highest point of leadership in the company, and really to have that you know authenticity behind the mission and the work, um, and the kind of go ahead to to follow your your own path with it. Um, yeah, that's that's right. It, it's it's a lot different. You know, I always I always think about you know there's you know when I went to Cox and and now of course you know I would I've never looked back to have you know our our stakeholders you know in the form of the family who owns the company and and how they how they think about their employees and how they think about you know their mission in life and the mission of the company. Um, it's it's real, and when you see what what effort and and what really financial backing that they've put behind it over the years, um, it really makes people into a believer. And I think that's been a big deal for our employees because we needed our employees to get behind what we were doing if we were going to solve some of these problems. Uh, and we but we needed them to believe in it. And and you can't go just educate people to the point where they believe in something. You, you have to, you know, you have to be a leader and Jim was definitely that leader. Yeah, there definitely, there has to be the why behind it. Um, so, you know, throughout your time since then, you know, you, it seems like you've really taken a leadership role in driving the positive in, environmental change, both inside and outside of the company. Can you talk about some of those key initiatives and, you know, the company's sustainability program, Cox Conserves and any broader sustainability goals? Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll I'll probably start at the beginning and and go through it because I think, you know, when I'm talking to uh, other folks, especially investors in the space who might say, why in the world are you guys um, investing and buying companies in sustainable agriculture or something like that? You know, I always have to back up and say, well, let me tell you the story here of of how we got here and hopefully then it'll make sense. Um, So whenever we built Cox Conserves originally, um, there, there was really one thing we were focused on um, as a measurable, tangible goal, and that was energy. It's what I knew. It's, it was our second largest expense because we were a services company, uh, and so that's where we started. And we had, you know, a twenty percent energy reduction goal, and and that was great back then. But when you fast forward it into two thousand eleven, two thousand ten, two thousand eleven. I realized that, you know, all of a sudden sustainability was a thing. Um, we needed to continue to evolve our program to, to be a leader and honor Jim's legacy. And so we made a big change then, which was to create date certain neutral goals in carbon, water, and waste. And the reason we did that is I wanted to make sure that we were really f- like an energy reduction goal wasn't like fundamentally changing our business. I could do that and the company could could just just do what they were doing. It it really wasn't, you know, um, drastically changing the company. I wanted to have a program in place that, that really fundamentally forced us to think about the environment and every decision we made. And also thought it's really like, how do we honor Jim's impact, Jim's legacy? Let's eliminate our impact, you know, on the planet. And so, those goals are now, you know, um, waste neutral by 2024 and carbon and water neutral by 2034. And the reason I think it's important to start with those goals is that's what led us into clean tech ultimately. 
And and the reason why was if you now fast forward to, you know, call it two or three years ago, uh, Alex Taylor is now our CEO. Uh, he's a, he's the great grandson of the founder. And and Alex had, had a very clear vision for what he wanted to do with Cox, which was to put us back into growth mode and and which is great and and exciting for the company but as i started thinking about that i thought wow we have to figure out how to address a growing company with date certain neutral environmental goals and and the way that we we went about solving that was I, we we thought about the idea of what if we drive a certain portion of that growth by diversifying into what we were calling Back then, I think I called it sustainability, but now we, we've named it clean tech. Um, then, like the impact we could have there, and this was a thesis in, in the early days, we theorized we could have a, such a greater impact by building a meaningful business in the space, way beyond anything we could do by eliminating our environmental impact uh, as a company. And so we added that as an additional uh uh, thing that we were going to try to solve. And so we'll continue to eliminate Cox's impact. But, you know, if, if we're successful in building the next division of the company in this space, uh, it's going to have, you know, I, I like to think of it as, you know, Cox will always do the right thing. But at the end of the day, eliminating Cox's footprint, it's not going to change the trajectory of the planet in any way. Now we like to influence people and show other people we can do it. But if we can build a meaningful business here, that can truly like have a positive change on the way the planet's going. Yeah, that makes sense. So not just reduce, but kind of create something additive and beneficial. That's right. Um, so, you know, that kind of leads into the next thought and question, you know, what are some of the, you know, challenges and opportunities tackling sustainability issues within the framework of a large corporation? You know, because I know, I know that that also gives you this amazing platform to be able to do more. That's right. Yeah. And I think, I think you know it, it's figuring out where to start. Um, that that for us was it was was a challenge in and of itself. As as I thought about uh, the clean tech space, you can put a lot of stuff into clean tech. Um, I think, in fact, when we started looking at total addressable market, I want to say it was four hundred thirty-seven trillion dollars. You know, in, in that total addressable market, and the first thing I said was, okay, we got to really cut this down. We we can't. We will not be successful if we just go surface level across all these opportunities. And so uh, at the time, it was just me. And so I was able to pull all of our strategy resources from the, the divisions to come in and help. And we went through the whole space and said, okay, let's do like sort of this tops down, bottoms up approach to cut these sectors and figure out what sectors, you know, from a financial standpoint or look interesting, you know, where's the, the growth pockets at? Uh, what sectors can we leverage some of Cox's core competencies um, to be able to be successful in there? And I'll talk more about that in a second. And then what sectors, um, you know, offer the biggest impact that we could create? Because we don't want to go like, you know, if you think about all these sectors as a piece like a pie, we don't want to go after like the smallest piece of pie. And so, um, and so when I talking about the core competencies, the first thing we had to do was really reframe, um, what are our core competencies? Because everybody said, well, this is diversification. You, you, we have no core competencies in agriculture. Uh, so you can't do that. And so we had to get really creative. And so this was another challenge, um, in how we think about that. You know, I look at, 
the way we're growing food now, it's a systems-based approach with technology and operations. Like we're good at that. That's what Cox does well. And so you have to really dig down a little bit into those core competencies because it's easy to say, well, we don't know how to do that. And so, you know, that sort of was, was the first thing. And, you know, then it really just comes down to a, a compelling reason to do it. I think there's a lot of, it's easy, like I call it inertia. It's easy to just keep doing what you're doing. Um, nobody, you know, nobody gets in trouble for that. You have to be willing to really push the push the bounds. You have to be, you know, you have to be provocative and make people uncomfortable. I tend to take the tack of I have to show people why we can't not do this. Um, and and so that's, you know, I think I always like to be elegant in solutions, but sometimes it just takes brute force. Uh, to get things through. So I think stubbornness or tenacity, if you want to be positive about it, is what it takes sometime. Um, and then the last thing was just, um, and I was lucky that we had built this over years and years, uh, the credibility of being able to prove that sustainability created a competitive advantage. And and so that for me was key, was building all of this on that foundation. If we'd have started this ground zero, I don't. I just don't think I would have been able to get the traction and success like we have, knowing that we have you know a you know a couple of you know I don't know at least a, over a decade of documented experience in in proving that what we've done has really been good for our business. Yeah, you know, in preparing for our conversation today and reading through you know the different materials on clean tech and Cox Enterprises, yeah, I definitely came across the words profitability and sustainability quite a few times in the same sentence. You know, could you dig a little more deeply into that? You know, how what's good for the environment can also really be good for business? Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it um, I, I spent, I feel like um, I probably say that in my sleep because when we started, what I wanted to prove was that I could go do good things for the planet and bring back the best returns of anybody in the company. Like if you want to go, you know, get more money than you can invest, that's how you do it. And so um, I was very rigorous about that in the beginning, especially, and we drove really good returns for the company. You know, I I think about sustainability in, in terms of, you know, especially for Cox, like I want to build a durable business that's around for another 120 years. And, and that to me is what sustainability is. And it has to be, at, at that balance between profit and planet, if you want it to work long time, long term, you know, there's always there's room for philanthropy, and we have a foundation, and they do a lot of good stuff. My focus has always been on the business side and creating that sort of sustainable program, and so that that's the reason I've always had that focus, and and the reason that we were successful in getting to the point where. Uh, we almost had unlimited amounts of money that we were, you know, we were wanting to put to work because we were doing all these great things that we could quantify in benefits. And then I have all this other, you know, I, there are things you just can't quantify. There are people related things. You know, how do you quantify the fact that you're a workplace where you get the best talent because people buy into your vision and your dream and your why of what, you know, what you want to do with this company? Um, and so we just sort of put those as, you know, the, 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 oh, by the ways, um, but we always have to quantify, you know, the benefits in hard terms. And so, you know, almost a billion dollars later that we've invested under my tenure, um, I haven't, I'm, I don't, 
manage the Cox Conserves program anymore, but I'd still be willing to bet today that um, the returns on that investment would be impressive to any investor out there. Yeah. You know, it seems like up till now, you know, up till maybe the last decade, you know, creating positive environmental impact has seemed like more of a secondary initiative in business, like profits are generated, you know, on the business side, and then, you know, giving through the corporate, you know, corporate social responsibility programs or other initiatives, you know, looking beyond Cox to the broader corporate landscape. Do you think that that's changing, that it started that, you know, sustainability and environmentalist interests are starting to be more embedded into, you know, the operations of businesses themselves? Yeah, I, 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 for sure. Um, and, and it is, it, it, there is an acceleration here. Um, we're seeing, and I get to see this now uh, on, the, on the, you know, the business side of things. But, um, you know, we figured this out, you know, going 20 years ago. Uh, that you know that this sustainable thinking would you know, you could build a better company and but what what I'm seeing now is there's there companies are really shifting from you know being um, focused on profit as it, for their shareholders call it to being focused on their stakeholders and meaning that whether or not like we were doing it way back then because it, we believed it was the right thing to do and, and other companies are as well. But now what you're, I think you're seeing is this almost um, insurmountable pressure that's coming from all these stakeholders, whether it be investors, consumers, employees. And so I think what we've seen now is just a, a complete holistic uh, set of drivers where no matter what your motivation is as a company, You've got to do this, and so I don't think of this as being. I I, I look at this as as being really the compliance of the future, um, and it's not a matter of if; it's just ma- a matter of when it gets there. Yeah, it's probably easier for businesses to start thinking about it now, so they're not scrambling. That's right. Um, you know what? What is the power do you see and responsibility of businesses to help address some of you know our most pressing environmental issues? And do you think that? business businesses can solve these issues alone or um you know i think I, I definitely think it's businesses responsibility and businesses have the most power to do it uh, you know th- there there was a i think there was a quote from from mayor jackson i'll i'll mess it up from long ago but it was it was something to the effect of you know like private enterprises can f- you know feed more hungry clothe more poor you know, than governments ever could. And, and, and like, that's the way I think about it too, is that not only do private enterprises have this capability to do this, I think they also have a responsibility because, you know, companies have been built on, you know, and, and not, I don't want this to seem negative. I mean, it's the exploitation of natural resources. Like we as a, a society have built wealth off of our natural resources and it's done but now i think the you know there's this onus to go back and just do it better if you've got if you can do it but you know if you can just do it a better way i think that's what we are to be always asking ourselves i don't i don't think we can do it you know alone i think it has to be a joint effort but i definitely don't think we need you know government entities or ngos like some might need that, but I think businesses should take the lead 
and just go do this for all the right reasons. And the other reason I think we should do this is because um, there's a huge opportunity if if you get out in front of this and do it right and don't wait on somebody to regulate you or somebody to, you know, to force you to do it. Uh, I think there's a huge opportunity. And that's why I think about framing clean tech in the three areas of resource efficiency, adaptation, and resiliency. You know, using less resources is good for your business. Um, but there's also like the adaptation and resiliency is an acknowledgement that the world's going to change and you need durable businesses that can withstand that change. And, and those are the ones that are going to be successful and profitable into the future. Yeah. And the businesses, you know, of the next century can't be built on the same model of exploitation because back to the sustainability perspective, it's just not going to be sustainable for another century. So That's right. Well, I think this is a good moment to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Here at Firestarter Interactive, we're proud members of the 1% for the Planet network of businesses, having made the commitment to donate 1% of annual revenue to environmental causes. So for every dollar that we earn, one cent goes back to planet Earth and our mission to make the world a greener, healthier place for our generation and for future generations. That's $1 of every $100, $10 of every thousand. It may not sound like a lot, but every dollar adds up and collectively we can and are making a huge impact. With 1% for the Planet members giving back more than $280 million and counting to the environment. Visit 1%fortheplanet.org. That's 1% for the Planet, all spelled out, to learn more. We hope you'll join us. And we're back. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and dig deeper into your personal story and what drives you. Um, you know, how do you relate to this idea of connecting with your why and living your purpose? Does that resonate with you in, in what you're doing? It, it does. Uh, I'm, I'm very fortunate that, you know, among all the other great things about Cox and, and the culture of the company, Cox is a place where they take risks on good people. Um, and what I mean by that is if you on paper, I, I was not the right person to go build the next division of the company. Uh, you know, there, there are people that had private equity backgrounds or investment banking backgrounds. But at Cox, you know, they give people that they believe in the chance to go succeed. And so because of that mentality and that culture, I've been able to go build, you know, a career that, that fits my why or fits my purpose. Um, and so, you know, to me, that's what makes what I do really fun is that I get to design, you know, things that I'm passionate about. And, and we, we always talk about building a better future for the next generation. You know, I tend to internalize that and, and think about, I have a 14 year old son and I think about that in terms of, you know, cre- leaving, leaving resources in a natural environment you know, that, that he will get to enjoy and his children will possibly get to enjoy versus leaving them with a big problem um, that they get to deal with. And so, so that's sort of how I think about it. And, and I'm very fortunate that I get to live that every day. Yeah, definitely. seems like it's far more than a job title for you. And, and I think part of that comes down to having that ownership, you know, and really being able to evolve it and, and take a leadership role yourself rather than you know, kind of following paint by the numbers, someone else's vision. Um, 
you know, what advice would you have for young people, maybe your son, uh, or, you know, or also someone, you know, maybe at a career juncture, you know, seek, seeking more meaning and impact in their work on how to connect with a pathway and a vocation that resonates with them, but also, you know, feels like they're making a positive impact. Yeah. I, I, and I, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's a great question because I, I get asked this a lot by our employees um, who, you know, went are always what, what we do. And it's, it's always like, it's very rewarding when people want to be associated with what you're doing. And so usually that manifests in how can I participate? How can I help? What can I do? Um, and, and so what I always, I always tell people is, you know, make your job fit your passion if you can. I mean, there, there are certain situations where, you know, like I was at, at, at the power company, you're just not in the right job for you, but there are always things you can do that you can sort of like weave in your passion into your job. If you can't, you probably need to find something else that you want to do. You know, I'll, you know, there, 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 you know, the old adages about, you know, various things. I always tend to say differently. I just say like, when this quits being fun, I'm going to go find something else to do. And, and, you know, because life is just too short, we spend a lot of time, you know, now that we're, we're, we're remote, it even is more exacerbated of how much time we spend um, doing our work every day. And if, and if you don't enjoy that, I just, I don't know how you can trudge through 30, 40 years of your life if, if you're not excited and passionate about what you do. So you either got to find the passion, can, you know, build the job into what you want it or go, to be, or go find something else to do. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective because I think just that, you know, that you can layer and incorporate different things that will make something, you know, your current role more meaningful. But then if you don't have that flexibility, then seek elsewhere. (laughs) Um, Are there particular mindsets or philosophies that you bring to your life and work that you have, that have been important to your success? You you know, I think I I always, I've always liked the, the, the idea of, you know, of, of sort of the dare to be curious. I think that to me is, is really a lot of what I do, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, now that, now that I'm doing investments and, and building companies, uh, I spend, I spend most of my time asking questions. Um, and, and that I've found is the most important skill set to have is to, if you can get to the right questions, that's great. Um, but you've just got to ask questions and and sort of be provocative uh, to get to the right you know what's the answer and and that's all that's all it really is to it and then you know beyond that I think it's just sheer determination because um, there there are times when you know I feel like you know the effort is is isometric and you just got to keep pushing and you know there there are sort of points where I just say you know we're going to get this done no matter what it takes um, because things are just, it's not always easy. And, you know, building a business, doing diversification, you know, like for me and my example is, is sort of how I think about it. It, It's not something easy to do uh, because of that inertia that you have. It's just easier to keep doing what you were doing before. And so I sort of feel like, you know, my days are spent as much as a change agent, as anything else to convince people that 
this is the path we need to go down and this is a really good idea. And so, you know, call it half change agent, half, half salesperson. Yeah, definitely. And I think you're right. You know, the pathway is often just a lot of hard work too. It's not always glamorous, but you know, I think we, we often see the kind of more glamorous end result, but the pathway to get there, you know, is long often. That's right. That's it. That is, that is actually a, a really good point because, you know, I think if you, if you read, you know, press releases or, you know, you always get the positive side of things. It's the, it's the Christmas letter version of, of life. And, you know, behind, I, I always sort of joke that we'll have a press release about an investment or an acquisition. And, and the first thing, you know, if you're on the outside looking in, you think, oh, they're popping champagne and celebrating. And, and, and at that point you think, wow, we're excited, but just want to go take a nap maybe <laughs> because of all the hard work that went into it. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, what do you, what do you know at this point in life to be true? You know, that, that you wish you know, you'd known at an earlier stage in life. Oh gosh. True and you important. Know, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know, you know, honestly, I don't know. I think there were, there were probably 99 scenarios that took me down a completely different path. And there was one that led me to where I am today. And I honestly don't know if I knew anything else, like if I knew anything back then, you know, that I knew today, that it that it would have helped me in any way. I, I sort of look at this path that I've taken and it was not really planned, um, but it was very methodical. And, and I don't know that I could have gotten there another way. I, I think, you know, if you went way back, I probably would have, you know, told my younger self, you probably ought to work harder and, and, you know, screw off a little bit less, you know, I think I'll, maybe the other thing, and this would be more for, for somebody that's, that's, you know, coming up in their career is, you know, and I tell people this now, and probably much to their parents' chagrin, um, go, go take a risk. When you're early in your career, that's the time to go take a risk when you don't have the responsibility of, of kids and things like that, that's when you should go work for a startup or um, go do something you're passionate about. Who knows? It might lead to something that becomes, you know, a long-term career to you. But um, I sort of started my career as, you know, like modeled after, you know, my, my, you know, my baby boomer parents, which was go get a steady job, get a house, get married, you know, settle down. And, 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 and that's probably the one thing that, I would say, like, I, I, if I was talking to myself back then, I would have said, "Look, you got plenty of time to do that. Uh, who knows where you might go if you go start your own company or go work for a startup?" And I think that comes back to the follow your curiosity and be curious. You know, if you follow that, you'll probably land somewhere close to your passion, and you know, who knows where it'll lead. Yep. Um, so you know, we're. It's March 11th right now. I think it's one year, you know, since the, you know, WHO declared a pandemic. It's obviously been a very dynamic year. Um, you know, have current circumstances led to any changes in strategy or focus in your work with clean tech? Uh, no, no changes in strategy or focus. It's led to a lot of work. Um, I think so when, when everything, you know, first broke out, we all thought, okay, this is going to be really interesting how this plays out from a business standpoint. Um, 
you know, there are going to be companies without liquidity that are going to be struggling. Maybe there's going to be some opportunities which led us to do a lot of work and a lot of long hours to try to get ready, uh, you know, to it just in case there were opportunities that came out. And what I learned after about three months is there were businesses on two ends of that spectrum. You know, one was businesses that um, did have resiliency and did well, and the valuations went up, up and up. Uh, and then there were businesses on the other end of the spectrum that didn't do well and, and you just wouldn't touch them with a 10-foot pole. And so that really didn't come to fruition um, how how we thought it would. Um, but, you know, th- there was sort of this second thing. And I think, you know, for us, I guess at the end of the day, it didn't change anything with these higher valuations. Um, you know, it, it may, it's great for our portfolio companies uh, because most all of them did very well and are doing very well. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, but it obviously makes it a challenge if you're going to go acquire new businesses or or invest because of the premiums there. Uh, but one of the one of the things that sets us apart at Cox versus you know what I'll call you know financial investors or financial sponsors is we take a generational mentality on investments. You know, we like. When I have to describe Cox to investors, I say, think of a private equity firm that has a very long hold period. That's that's what we are at Cox Enterprises. You know, we sold off our media business. Um, you know, I don't know, a hundred years after we got started, hundred and twenty years after we got started. So, um, that's one of the things that really sets us apart is our patient capital, and and so when you think about these higher valuations. Um, it's okay. I mean, we still need to be, you know, smart with our money, but uh, I think that gives us potentially an advantage over somebody that thinks in terms of a three-year horizon or quarterly, you know, performance and things like that. The the second thing I saw is um, that, or, you know, just this interesting, um, I don't know if event horizon is not the right sort of way to think about it. ESG is here to stay. It is very obvious to me now uh, after the pandemic, like it's here, like it's not a, it's not a matter of like, when's this going to happen? Um, people are, there's a massive desire for ESG businesses and people are putting their money where their heart is. Um, and that in turn is putting really high premiums on ESG businesses as well. And so, you know, that, that again is, it's great if you're an owner of these businesses, it's tougher if you're, an investor trying to get in these business. So not, not, not a shift in strategy, but just, I think some interesting things that, that I've seen that have just been accelerated because of, you know, this, this hyper focus on, you know, the types of businesses that are being successful in today's world. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's kind of provided this just different space for reflection (laughs) as we've all, you know, had our routines change. Um, I'd love to dig a little deeper into, you know, some of the specific projects and programs that, you know, you're working on that you're most excited about. Yeah. So, um, maybe I'll, I'll just, I'll talk about two of them that I'm, I'm really excited about right now. And, and it's always, it's always tough, you know, to pick favorite children, right, but, right. um, you know, the first is, is, um, we have several investments in sustainable agriculture, one specific area is controlled, what we call controlled environment agriculture. So this is growing 
produce in advanced greenhouses uh, where you control all of the, you know, the conditions and the environment in there. Um, why I'm excited about the business is first, it goes back to this resiliency and adaptation. You're decoupling the growing of these things from like arbitrary ge geographies that are only the weather is good, but nothing else is good about that place. You're able to then locate it closer to people uh, where people are. And so, you know, the net result of that is, you know, 80% less water, 90% less land, you know, almost like all less transportation fuels. Um, but, but that's only half the story because, you know, the thing that convinced me to invest in Bright Farms, which is our, our Leafy Greens Controlled Environment Agriculture Company, beyond all the sustainability metrics and the excitement that we had around the tailwinds for locally grown uh, controlled environment leafy greens is it just tastes better. Um, when, when I went up and met with them, I'm not particular, like I eat spinach because I know it's good for me. Uh, not because it's like the most favorite thing that I enjoy in the world, but I caught myself eating straight out of the box, like as a snack. Um, you know, like it was potato chips or something. And that's when I went, okay, we've got something here. We've got something that, you know, it doesn't have any pesticides or herbicides. You don't even have to wash it because it never sees any dirt and you want to eat it. Like this, this is, this is crazy. Uh, and so to me, that's the perfect example of, of how you do this in a way that sort of manages, you know, the planet, the people and the profit. Um, and I'm excited that that we're we're uh, currently uh, we made an announcement late last year of a big investment where we took control of that company, and now we're working to scale that business up. So I'm really excited about what they're going to do. Um, the other area is in waste to X, uh, which is the word. Um, I'm pretty sure we made this up, <laughs> but I, I hear other people using it now. Um, we started out in like waste to energy. And, and then said, well, you know, because energy was the only thing you could do with waste at one point other than bury it in a hole in the ground. And I wanted to find other things we could do with garbage. And uh, we changed it to waste to X because we figured out there were some other business models that made a lot more sense. And I liked a lot better from an environmental standpoint uh, than, you know, than waste to energy. And so, you know, one of the solutions... Um, and, and we actually took a controlling stake in this company as well as Nexus, and they're located here in Atlanta. Um, Nexus is a, they call themselves a, a chemical recycler of plastics. And what that means is that they can take currently unrecyclable plastics. So right now, and most people don't know this, this is one of the, the, one of the things that waste, I'm so passionate about trying to do something different with waste. Most people don't realize that 90% of plastics are not recycled. You know, basically when you put all your recycling in the bin, they pull out the milk jugs and a couple things they want and the rest of it just go, hopefully goes in a landfill. Um, but, you know, a lot of it ends up in rivers and oceans and, and things like that. And so, and it's because it doesn't make any sense, you know, to recycle those plastic plastics in the traditional ways and technology that they had. Nexus is able to take these previously unrecyclable plastics and do it in a way that they can go back into new plastics manufacturing as virgin materials and it can be done an infinite number of times. 
And so you're keeping the plastic, you know, in the economy versus it going anywhere else. And so really exciting. Um, We've worked on this technology. I've been affiliated with this company since 2015. um, And we've been under the radar perfecting the technology um, and getting it right. And we just made an announcement yesterday uh, about a big investment to scale this business up because we, we got the technology nailed. Uh, we've got some really good offtake agreements uh, for manufacturers, uh, and and so now now's the time that we're really going public with this. And they are the most advanced technology of of anybody I've ever seen in the space. In fact, just because we haven't, we've been under the radar. They've processed over a thousand tons of waste plastic already. So this is not like an early stage lab scale thing, and so. That's that's really exciting to me because this is a company that has the ability uh, to prevent hundreds of thousands of tons of plastics from ending up somewhere you know that you don't want them to be and and the foundation at Cox um, paid for some equipment for University of Georgia and this is what really like brought it home for me. They were studying uh, some some baby sea turtles that had ingested plastic and died and I mean it's it's a terrible story but it's only half the story. The other half is that they are now finding the microplastics in tissue and organs and things like that. It's it's everywhere. And so what we've got to do is figure out a way, and we can't turn the spigot off overnight. So we've got to figure out a way to keep this stuff um, in the economy in a profitable way. And that's what, that's what Nexus is able to do. And that's what gets me really excited about their business. Well, I look forward to seeing the developments with both those initiatives and hope that, uh, you know, one of those greenhouses pops up right uh, right in our neighborhood here. <laughs> yeah, we've got, there's one, let's see, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Illinois, Virginia, and we're building one in North Carolina currently. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, I expect you'll hear some really exciting, you know, some, some other announcements coming throughout the year of new ones. Good. Well, putting a little word in for Rhode Island. I know we're not the biggest market in the country, but <laughs> yep. Um, you know, on a personal level, what are what are your hopes for this planet? You know, and how we inhabit it in the next decade and and well beyond that. Yeah, I, I think it just to me, it just comes down to you know we all have the ability and the choice to do better. And, and that's, that's, that's to me, like, that's my hope is that, you know, we as, as humans can embrace rational thinking to solve these issues, you know, versus just the, the like polarization that seems to really paralyze everybody. And it just stymies any progress. You know, I went, I went back when I was first starting um, my sustainability work, I knew that we had to engage our employees. And, and interestingly enough, I met, I wanted to I wanted to figure out how can we change the culture of our employees at Cox to embrace sustainability. And I didn't know if they did or didn't. I just wanted to make sure we put a program in place that actually made a difference. And there there was a um a doctor at Emory who had done her research on why people engaged in sustainable behavior. Um and talk about finding your passion. She originally was researching why people voted the way they did. And she said, this sucks. I hated it. It like, it's just terrible. And so anyway, so, so I got to spend some time with her and it really developed my thinking around, you know, the aspect of like human behavior and, and what she told me stuck with me, which is 
when when you know the human mind is is hit with something that's like too big to solve it does like a couple different things you know one is like it just sort of shuts down and ignore like oh that's not real you 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 say it's not you know the other is you just you just um say well it's too big for me i can't do anything so i'm just going to keep you know doing what i'm doing and so like that's the part i think about if, if we can just do like a little thing and then do another little thing it adds up i mean it, you know that's sort of how i think about all the stuff that we've done at cox we started with little things and we just kept adding on to it and honestly 20 years later we've done so much but i still feel like we're just getting started and so that that'd be my hope i mean we're we're really just temporary stewards here and and if everybody could you know put everything else aside and just say you know if there's a better way to do this that's probably a good idea yeah, I think that's such a good point too with like the overwhelm. It just seems like there are just so many, you know, environmental issues and how can, you know, I as one small person, you know, change or move the needle on it. So, you know, um, just the overwhelm of where to start. Um, do you have any kind of, you know, tips, advice for, you know, people who are trying to, you know, make a difference in their own communities, day-to-day lives? Hey, I, I think I think it honestly comes back to just just do something, no matter how small it is. You know, do something different. Make make a you know make a habit out of something, and this goes back to sort of the cultural change piece of it. You know, if you can do something like five times, I think you create a habit. And so it it could be you know recycling something that you weren't recycling before. It could be just changing some little behavior. You know, you don't have to go out and solve, you know, the world's oceans plastics problem. I mean, it'd be fantastic if somebody has that motivation and drive. But for a lot of people, it just gets overwhelming and daunting if you think about it in totality. So you just need to, like, just do one thing. Pick one thing that you think you could do differently and do that. And then once you do that, like, find the next thing and just keep building on that and create some momentum. And I think, I think the more, you know, individuals, businesses do that, then there's the modeling, you know, and hopefully, you know, there's momentum and it kind of snowballs and, you know, the movement grows as well. And it doesn't, doesn't hurt, you know, when, when others see that there's, you know, often some profitability tied with that, those good decisions as well. That's right. Well, it also, it also makes you feel better, right? About yourself. If you, you know, it's, it's feedback, like our, our, our brains, you know, process feedback, as long as it's like not bad, if it's, you know, positive feedback, you know, hey, good job, you recycled, you know, this much stuff, like, that's, that's the equivalent of, of in your, you know, adult brain is given um, a little kid an ice cream cone. Um, and so it makes you feel good about yourself. And that makes you do more, but you have to sort you have to take that first step, you know, like whether it's, it, it could be like exercise is the same thing, you just have to do that first step. And then I think what you find is that it's a very rewarding thing to do um, and will lead to you doing more things. Yeah. Uh, before we sign off, are there any final reflections you want to share with our listeners on business, sustainability, life? Um, gosh, I, I think, you know, I, I think I would go back to the fact that you know, I, I count myself very lucky to be in a place where I've been able to build, you know, build my career into into my passion. And I think and I think that would that would probably be, 
you know, if I was sharing one thing, it it would be do that, make, you know, live your life towards your passion, find, like make your job or your career be your passion. Um, you should always be trying to enjoy what you're doing, whether it be work, life. I mean, I kind of think it all blends together. And so you just have to make the whole thing something that you really enjoy doing. At the end of the day, you're going to end up doing more. You're going to be more productive and, you know, and you're going to be um, a lot happier and feel better about, you know, about what you're doing. Well, I don't think we can really top that. So, uh, well, thank you so much, Steve, for this conversation. It's been really, you know, thought-provoking, inspiring. Um, how can our listeners connect with you and learn more about all the great work underway with Cox Clean Tech? Yeah, great. Yeah, thanks for having me first. I lo- love to love the questions. It's, it's a lot of fun to, to tell the story, too. Um, I'm, on, I'm on LinkedIn on Stephen Bradley at Cox. Um, you can go to coxenterprises.com forward slash cleantech. And, and learn more about what we're doing as well as, you know, there's links there to reach out um, and get in touch with us. So I would encourage people to, to go there and check it out. Well, I look forward to, you know, watching how everything continues to evolve for the next century. Thanks so much, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for sharing another episode of the Firestarter podcast. People, ideas, and conversations that move us forward. If you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to the podcast, find show notes, as well as the video of today's show at firestarterix.com slash podcast. That's firestarterix.com slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter and Instagram at Willa Kammerer, that's K-A-M-M-E-R-E-R, and at firestarterix, and I'm Willa Kammerer on LinkedIn. This is the Firestarter Podcast. I'm your host, Willa Kammerer, and I can't wait to share our next conversation. In the meantime, stay safe, stay well, and let's stay busy making the world a better place.